Today, I'm speaking with Gennady Druzhenko, co-founder and chairman of Pirogov, the first volunteer mobile hospital set up in 2019, and now a crucial player in supporting Ukraine's response to Russian aggression and the casualties that result from it. In civilian life, Gennady is a constitutional scholar focusing on constitutional design and comparative constitutional law with both academic and governmental experience. Now, of course, we'll put some links to his organization. Um, and what we're really going to explore today is how first response uh, medical uh, attention is provided to civilians and military casualties on or near the front lines, which is an incredibly uh, important topic. Um, Gennady, welcome to the channel. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, dear Jonathan. My and pleasure just... to speak to your audience. Yeah. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you here. And if anyone's wondering why your English is so good, that is because you did study, I believe, at uh, Aberdeen for a period. Indeed. It was my second LLM. I got in from the University of Aberdeen oh, a lot of years ago. So it was 2008. Yeah, fifteen year, exactly 15 years ago. I graduated from the University of Aberdeen, and then I spent some time in the United States as a Fulbright scholar. So before the war started in 2014, I used to be like a library guy who farm more bookies than practical, but the war changed my life and of whole of my family quite radically. Uh, but that is very challenging, but great experience, how to provide the direct response to the huge tragedy, huge catastrophe, which experienced by our people in our country now, right now. So tell me a bit about the first volunteer mobile hospital, because of course the establishment of it predates the full-scale war, uh, but obviously there already was a, a war in the Donbass, there already was a Russian uh, invasion uh, of your country. So for you personally, what were your motivations uh, and when did you, your organization first started treating victims of Russian aggression? Uh, oh, yeah. At the first day of the Great War, as I call it, or full-scale invasion is most usual term for uh, for what we experienced uh, a year and three months now. Uh, it's, we rather revived or renew our activity on the front line because our organization was founded in 2014 but before that it was to like concept it during the revolution of dignity our uprising on maidan where we organized it like improvised medical teams which treated the wounded and sick protesters from the very first days of this protest it was the idea from my turbulent youth when we experienced <laughs> a quite turbulent time in the early 18th uh, middle uh, 1980 and then last time in the early 2000s year so that when we talked with my friends or i i remember this day that was exactly november 30 of 2013 after the ukrainian students was brutally beaten by the riot police without any obvious or even any no cause so with the, it was obvious that the, a lot of people's wood came to the street uh, and we just discussed it how we could be helpful apart from the personal participating and it was a quite 
bright idea to try to organize some improvised medical team if some clashes happened. And it was the case on the December the first near the presidential administration, there was first wounded, the first clashes, the first fights again with with the riot police uh, took um, had a play yeah occurred. And uh, it was very first day when I understood why lawyer is uh, helpful for the medics because I never treated the people, but some organization function and some communication with the governmental bodies and particularly with a special security agency which uh, um, responsible for the security of the parliamentary building was really helpful. They allowed us to deploy this improvised, like a medical team in the hall of one of the parliamentary commissions. And that helped not just medics to survive because the wave of attacks uh, went forth and back, but as well, um, tens of people which was treated there with, first of all, with like a with special gaze, which disturbs the eyes, but then they was heavily beaten. So that, uh, but I was sure that it's just like a moment in my biography, in my destiny that, okay, I helped the medics a bit. We did very good work. We treated tens of people, but then the first victims was killed on the Maidan on the January. We organized underground hospitals with my friend, which I became met on the first days of the, our revolution or rather uprising against tyranny. And then when we won this uh, fight against tyranny, the Russian invasion started the next day and we started to train young volunteers who are, who was going to the front line, how to provide first medical aid. And finally, when the Illovice tragedy was the most bloody event of the small war before the full-scale invasion occurred in the late, uh, last days of the August 2014, the group of people who met on the Madan and was uh, connected by this medical care uh, gathered together and we discussed it, unacceptable casualties because every third round is died according to the official statistic. Just for, uh, for comp comparison that the NATO standard 3%, we had 30%, 10 times. And we decided that we should to intervene again in some way. And after the quite prolonged discussion, we decided that we should to try to deliver the qualified medicine with the mobile equipment as uh, close to the front line as possible, but with reasonable risk to the lives of the medics because to prepare the medics that you need long time, long, not like a soldiers. And that is was the idea laid down in the foundation of our first volunteer mobile hospitals. Since then, the first mission, uh, the first hour mission to the Donbass, to the Eastern Front, started in the middle of December 2014. Since then, until the big war, we treated tens of thousands of people, both combatants and civilians, sick and wounded. But then the pandemic started in 2020-something, yeah. Uh, the most of our medics returned back to their usual hospitals because the casualties 
from the pandemic was far higher than the from de-escalated at that time uh, conflict. But uh, from the very first days of the big scale invasion, we organized it, uh, resurrected like a re re renewed our activity and. When we started from the one ambulance and small company of five guys, and just my wife was a medic among us in the first day of the war. Uh, at the end of Kiev campaign, that is the end of March 2022, we have had more ambulances, well equipped ambulances than any military units which defended the Kiev. And now we are one of the biggest. Uh, medical unit on the front line. We just counted the number of patients which we treated when we renewed statistic in uh, May 2022. So that for whole year from May to 2022 to the April 2023, we treated 17,604 patients, not less because sometimes not included in the statistic because of very dramatic circumstances. So that's about uh, 550 people a day. So that is quite a match for a whole year. That's huge. That's a huge uh, achievement. And it's a huge workload as well. And I think what people don't realize, I mean, immediately people think, well, that's fantastic. You must have state support. But actually, you don't. You're a voluntary organization that has grown organically through contributions. Um, and, you know, what is the importance? It, I mean, it seems to be incredibly important, both in Maidan and afterwards, that in Ukraine there are organizations that pop up that see a problem, and rather than waiting for government to resolve that problem, they try and find a solution. Do you, do you see yourself as part of that flowering of civic society? Oh, yeah, that is quite unusual things for uh, Western like well-established democracies because you pay taxes and the government should lead any, especially any war or like a war uh, answer to invasion. But Ukrainian uh, Ukraine is still quite different. Uh, so uh, maybe your audience remember about the term militia, which used in the second uh, amendment to the American constitution. And that is something what is really about Ukrainian volunteers, both armed and armed like we are, because it's not just a government's war or professional war. It's very te technological, but again, at least from Ukrainian part, it's a popular war. So I am deeply believed uh, that if not, if a lot of civilian guys or ununiformed guys. It's the very, uh, very first days and first weeks of the full-scale invasion. Uh, didn't take like um, resistance to the Russian aggression. The outcome would be very different uh, right now. It is really was a great input of the self-organized people, self-organized communities and teams like our one to the, our resistance and our success. As I mentioned at the end of the first months of the uh, Russian invasion, uh, our hospital or our team had more ambulances, equipped ambulances than any brigade, military brigade 
financed by the budget and supported by our Western allies. Uh, so that that is a, like very uh, one of Ukrainian feature. And in other sense, uh, there is no not fashionable to critique uh, the Ukrainian government because Zelensky is like a celebrity and he had he really deserved this respect from whole world. But again, uh, we uh, I saw three times in the government with, uh, under the different presidentships, so I quite well. The well aware insider, and still that is a bureaucratic that is still corruption in the government, and that is still different motivation. Some people are great and really uh, well educated, uh, well motivated, and patriotic, but not all. But not all, even in within the military and special services. So we just count try to uh, estimate how what is the ratio of wounded soldiers and civilians we treated for the last year at according to the different uh, according to our analysis that every at least at least uh, i am stressed at least every tenth of wounded combatants of uh soldiers of our defense forces at the same or at the different stages of medical treatment was treated by our volunteers medics we haven't got any scent or any like agreements from Ukrainian or any other government. We're just supported by the private sector from the private person with a very modest donation to the some well-known global corporation who decided to support our activity and we are very thankful. And finally, the very idea of democracy is uh, like some to put some restriction on the government. Unfortunately, that is the natural for the war times that our government is too powerful. But still, we need to compete. We need to demonstrate that uh, another approach is, is possible. I every I like to I love to reiterate that the legendary Heimers, which is legend, uh, like like a legend in Ukraine now, produced not by the United States government, that is private enterprise, which. Uh, sponsored by the government, like uh, which sell to the government, but that is still private sector. And so we are not just save a tens of thousands of lives, but we remind about the strength and spirit of free society, which could not just uh, be part of our defenses forces, an effective part, but as well remind to our government that finally government for the people and not the people for the government that's it and that competition uh, can create uh, uh well space for freedom to to flourish and yeah. to challenge as you say bureaucratic behaviors and what you mentioned here is that potentially thousands of people are alive because of the work you do uh, and without that work there wouldn't have been an alternative. There wouldn't have been some sort of magical solution or a governmental governmental solution. Um, so these people, whether they be civilians, is fantastic. You know, they're they're alive. They're able to contribute to the economy. But crucially, you have saved the lives of thousands of soldiers, and some of those have been able to go back to the front lines and fight again. And I think this is an absolutely crucial area um, to explore further. When I was talking to uh, a military analyst the other day, and I asked a question about uh, ratios 
of, uh, you know, wounded and killed on the Russian side and the Ukrainian side. And he said, that's the wrong ratio to look at. Well, it's 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 important. But the, he said the real ratio to look at is the survivability. Because if you're wounded on the Russian side, it's a hopeless situation. If you're wounded on the Ukrainian side, then you have a much better chance of surviving. And in some cases, being treated and after several months being returned to the front. So I'd like to get your views on a comparison, this kind of work and survivability that you're bringing to this frontline action compared to what doesn't exist on the Russian side. Well, yeah, you, I completely agree with this approach that is really the ratio of survivability is its maybe most important. And really we fight uh strongly against the death as such sometimes our patients experience it up to four stop of the they heart beating so we almost resurrected them after the uh death uh un untimely death and it was some very inspiring moments one of our most heavy patients was the ukrainian soldiers and when we finally won our fight against he against death, he opened the eyes, uh, and when he his mind became clear, he said, "Oh, it seems my birthday today." And it was his exactly birthday. But now he celebrates twice because his uh, heart stopped four times during our uh, medical evacuation. And that is great inspiration, especially for me, because uh, as I mentioned, I am not a medic. My wife is a medic and lead our medical team on the front line. But for me, I really miss the books, miss the uh, university discussion, miss the intelligent public, which uh, focused on the good universities. But then when you understand that when you like heard about the moments like this, you hugely satisfied and you believe that really that maybe is one of the best things you could do because finally he's somebody's son somebody's husband and maybe somebody's father and all this small universe maybe and not maybe for certainly would be glad because they go to the hospitals not to the chemistry for his father son and husband so uh, we experience it at least hundreds of such a situation. Once we, uh, last year, we evacuated the small uh, eight-year girl from the Donbass to the Dnieper, that about 200 miles. She was heavy wounded because the Russian rockets uh, exploded in the uh, village yard when she played with her uh, sister and two guys, neighbor guys. Unfortunately, neighbor guys died uh, immediately and her sister a bit later but this girl uh, we, it was very, one of the most difficult evacuation because she was small not like a big man and when we delivered her alive to the big hospitals in Dnipro uh, our medics one of them by the way returned from the Germany to help Ukraine he's Ukrainian originally but work as an anesthesiologist in Germany and they got SMS from the medics from the big hospital. You made a miracle. According to the, all this, our data, she didn't survive, but she did. 
and um, that's demonstration of our approach we really uh, for us as a human life matters and matters uh, that is the best biggest value in our worldview the second part i strongly believe and now we almost achieve this level of the state of art equipment and good ambulances sent to people from throughout the world who support us and uh, our now equipment uh, is far more better again than in most units of the armed forces ukrainian but for sure as in the russian when we did was a part of deliberation forces which deliberated Kharkiv region that's in the north northwest we saw that it was like a medical museum we saw that like some production from the soviet time uh, i remember i am old enough that <laughs> and that was ah come on guys we st you still use this outdated that is like a dinosaurs <laughs> medical equipment and that that is really not like a different approach between Ukrainians and especially our units and some other and the Russian. But that is about very substance of our work. For sure, it is for territory. We need to liberate occupied territory. It is for Ukrainian identities, right to determine our future, but as well for the very fundamental. Uh, values that is and within the the a man a human being stand in the center of ukrainian universe and for russians that's for sure statehood the statehood which could sacrifice as much lives as they want millions of lives like it was in the world war ii uh, and i'm really glad that our values are not just some declaration but they demonstrated every day on the battlefield really i remain you know that uh during world war ii the zhukov that one of the stalin's marshals said notorious phrase the russian women born far more like a soldier so don't care about their lives but i uh, reiterate again and again to my people you shouldn't follow that Zhukov's approach, but you should remain uh, this great movie, American movie, Save the uh, Ryan. Saving Private Ryan, yeah. Private Ryan, yeah, Private Ryan. So that, and we try to follow and follow quite successfully this human-centric approach. And of course, that's been quite important, hasn't it? Because when you combine that human-centric approach and you combine it with satellite communications and drones and precision artillery and, of course, the NATO techniques, which over the last sort of two decades, um, a lot of training has been done on those with Ukrainian armed forces. When you combine the sanctity of life with advanced techniques and weaponry, that seems to be having a strong result in terms of first survival and then being able to push Russia back towards its borders. Uh, I completely agree because uh, Ukrainian soldiers believe that Ukrainian Ukrainians and the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people really care about they and if they would be wounded, they uh, get uh, a best medical care possible, at least in the 
circumstances done. And that really inspired Ukrainian uh, people, Ukrainian forces, Ukrainian soldiers to fight uh, bravely and effectively because uh, uh, because it is an unparalleled sense of solidarity between uh, Ukrainian people and Ukrainian defense forces, which is really very wide uh, terms. It is not just the uniformed people, but a lot of supporting units like our ones. So uh, it is some. Sometimes I even cry when the people try to present us small gifts or provide with some cakes or deliver some uniform or things like that. Sometimes I never experience it uh, quickness like that. Sometimes we need one more or uh, a couple of a couple of more, like this Starlink satellite internet provider. And you just post on Facebook and during one week, uh, not longer, somebody call you say, we have two or even three, we could uh, present to you, not to sell you, but really give to you. And that is maybe formula of our success. Uh, nobody or as a few uh, expect uh, at the beginning of this full scale invasion. Sometimes I even joked that I was born and even graduated from school during the Soviet time. And you know, the motto of Soviet time was communist, 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 and when people just live without money and something like that, utopia. But once I experienced it, in the, especially in the first months of the Kiev, we got tons of resources without paying for nothing. People really thought that we one of the first well-organized uh, team, which we provide a lot of uh, medical care for everybody who need, and we was quite well known at the time. And then just sometimes we need begging them, stop to supply us with the tons of <laughs> plaster, for example. Uh, but that is the case. That is really very interesting and unusual experience when people so eager to survive as a nation that they put all energy, almost sources, even their lives, risking their lives to to win, and finally we win. Uh, instead of very different expectation, not just from Russian, okay, Russian, but from our real friends and alliance the West. That was going to be my next question because it's Ukrainian bravery and it's Ukrainian skin that's that's in the game here. But you do have partners, both your organization and, of course, the, the military in the wider sense has a lot of foreign partners. So I'd love to know how those kind of partnerships have assisted you in your work and what kind of organizations uh, have reached out to kind of help uh, you expand uh, the work you're doing. Yeah, good question. That is finally we, in fact, award our place within the defense forces. Finally, uh, a year ago, I sent the letter to Commander in Chief uh, General Zaluzhny, one of the legend of this war, like uh, uh, Ukrainian as an hour, <laughs> and uh, he uh, just resolved on the, my my uh, letter that uh, agree and just include the first volunteer mobile hospital to the defense forces of Ukraine. Since then, we do not experience 
any like resistance from the both uh, government and military bureaucracy, which it was uh, a bit the case in some times. But again, that is uh, we demonstrated our effectiveness and our very high standards on the battlefields and. Uh, more and more military units approach it to us and ask us to help on the some stage. In the some stages of medical evacuation, we now just one remark, we do just pre-hospital medical treatment. That is uh, extraction from the battlefield, mostly on the special or armored car like a Humvee or Pinsgauer's. Then we work shoulder to shoulder on the stabilization point or, or the forward uh, surgical teams, which is known in the NATO's uh, terms, uh, with, with the military doctors. We work on number of them. And then we have a, like a very, our feature is uranium bills, very well equipped uranium bills with ventilators, defibrillators, and other sophisticated equipment on which we evacuate heavy wounded from the stabilization points to the rare hospitals. So that um, uh, when the people, that is like a frontline, everybody wants to survive. And uh, people just uh, speak about, about us and the commanders or medical commanders from different units call us or visited us and discuss it about our cooperation. Nobody commanded to have uh, to just cooperate or collaborate with us. But as more we well known, thanks to our effectiveness and profession professionality, uh, the more military want to work with us. So if we treated about up to 500 uh, uh, patients last summer, now uh, last three summer, we treated more than 2,500, so five times. And that is, uh, from one on one hand, that is undiscussable success and recognition. But on the other hand, that is a, our uh, need and resources just rocketed. Because even if you work with the volunteers, medics, they're brave, they're very motivated, they're very bright guys. But again, the medicine is a quite expensive venture. Absolutely. And these stabilization points, they're still, you know, you're getting people away from the, uh, you know, the immediacy of, uh, you know, um, being under fire, but you're still in a dangerous place. Um, have, uh, I, I want to ask two questions. I mean, one is, have any of your volunteers and medics actually sort of suffered or um, given their lives um, in this process. But the other one, of course, is this is a critical moment. You're not evacuating people a long way away. You're getting them just far enough away so you can stabilize them. What is the improvement in survivability rate by taking this approach, this very sort of approach that focuses on treating people as close to the front lines as possible, doing some fairly complex uh, medical procedures, which normally would have to wait until you get them back to, uh, you know, to a much larger base. Okay, uh, the first question, that is one of my proud and really keep my finger crossed and pray every day. We are still haven't lost 
any of our volunteers for eight year plus. And that is, again, just stress our approach that people care and care uh, matters and matters most in our in our business to say in our activity. Uh, so, but we are really that is really scary and uh, uh, not safe. For example, on January sixteenth, uh, Russian missiles destroyed the building just across the road. Uh, of the hospital in Chasivyaz, it's a small town near the Bakhmut, when we live more than half a year in 2010. The windows just was broken, and even the door uh, in, the, uh, um, in the rooms uh, was broken by this uh, explosion wave. So that um, some of our embassies got under the like uh, artillery uh, fire uh, some that it was during the Kiev campaign under the still have uh, signs of bullets but thankfully again all our peers survived unfortunately some of them died when they returned to 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 their homes because freedom is not free even if you do, do not killed by the bullet sometimes your heart is just by stroke yeah uh the second question uh, so we, we risk our lives but again we do our best to not take unreasonable risk because the war that is about risking your life and sometimes we are we are quite clearly understand and prepare our people that unfortunately we couldn't guarantee 100 percent safety because it is not about war. Uh, the second question is really, that is from Ukrainian experience of the years of war, uh, why we so um, actively use and organize, we call them stabilization points, because we couldn't say uh, send helicopters to the front line. So that is usual. Uh, golden hour for the Western and NATO uh, armies. Uh, when the soldier is wounded, she has just treated a bit by their comrades. And then the helicopter should came and evacuate him in the big rare hospitals. But unfortunately, uh, helicopters couldn't fly in this uh, frontline zone, just the uh, fighting jet, which is under the huge risk there. And so that uh, all evacuation made by vehicles, extraction vehicles, sometimes they are special medical vehicles, but sometimes just usual like pickups or armored vehicles, fighting armored vehicles. And so that was, to my mind, that very wise decision to organize a 10, 15 kilometers or 20 kilometers from the battlefields so-called stabilization points. There is not huge surgery there. That's the uh, principal aim to stabilize the patients, to stop blooding, to provide with some, mm, uh, to, 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 to treat that's unusual ache when that, for example, uh, traumatic amputation of the legs or arms. And then prepare for the medical evacuation in the uh, within the, this uh, 
specific ambulances which called reanimobiles, which uh, equipped with ventilators like defibrillators. And that is, uh, um, and then in the rare hospitals, but rare is comparatively rare. We most of our uh, evacuation done to the Kramator, Slavians, Ruskiv, because it is 25 kilometers from the Bahamut, 30 kilometers from the Bahamut. But that is big, well equipped hospitals because it's a big cities on the hundreds of thousands of people live there before the war. So that uh, these different stages of evacuation, short in fact stages, that is something to be learned from the, our years and years of this brutal war with the Russians. And to, I strongly believe that they prove themselves, turn it out to be quite successful scheme of medical treatment on the pre-hospital stage. And of course, even when people are in these larger hospitals, they're not fully out of danger because Russia's strategy has been to clearly target civilian infrastructure, cultural infrastructure, but it's also targeted, you know, trauma points, hospitals, quite deliberately, it seems as well. Um, now, there's much better sort of air air coverage, but it's it's not a zero risk process, is it, recovering in a Ukrainian hospital? You are right. Unfortunately, and that is quite one of the features of this war, if you have a red cross on your uh, car or on the um, premises, that is rather target than protection. So Russian understand that to kill medics, that is uh, really cause some huge set and decrease um, effectiveness of medical care. So for them, really uh, ambulances, I know a lot of stories when they just fire it as an ambulance it unfortunately sometimes successfully and again the big hospitals which is open on the google maps it is not a secret uh sometimes it is targets for the missiles and artillery attacks as i mentioned we personally experienced it twice in our last year's history that first was bombing uh near the Bakhmut, uh, like a city hospital when we stay first and then we spent a month before retreating to the chassis VR and then the first missile strike and then like a artillery strike <laughs> targeted in the chassis VR hospital, which is the only hospital in this small town. So that that is the true. And even in Kramatorsk and Slovyansk, which is now the first full treatment, uh, provided for the most of Ukrainian wounded soldiers, it is still under the dangerous of the missile attacks. It is unreachable for artillery, but still reachable for the Russian, like a short-range missiles. And th that is that is the case, and that is the danger. But again, the flaw of the casualties is quite considerable. Sometimes, we really work non-stop seven twenty-four. That. It is the only possible uh, way to disseminate wounded and uh, injured between these hospitals because you know the ge geographic situation in, is such that between the Donbass agglomeration now went full of Ukrainian forces and Dnipro, the next largest city with a good uh, medical infrastructure that 
more than about two two thousand miles, so quite considerable way. So when the first re first serious uh, like a hospital treatment done, some heavy wounded. Uh, evacuated to the Dnipro, but you need to provide or make a surgery, to, uh, in, especially in difficult uh, cases, as soon as possible. So that is the case. There is a still danger, but we hedge it in in way possible uh, in the circumstances done. <laughs> and of course, the um, spring offensive that's long being talked about. Uh, I'm obviously not going to ask about any details of the offensive itself, but over the next couple of months, as Russia progressively is pushed out of uh, territory it's held, which I, you know, I believe is is absolutely possible, there of course is a risk of um, you know greater casualties and that the rate of casualty increasing. Um, are you confident that the infrastructure is in place to to deal with those casualties, or is it going to be quite a strain? Unfortunately, you're ready. We was part of our uh, liberation counteroffensive on the Kharkiv uh, direction, and even though it was one of the most successful counteroffensives in the recent history, not just in Ukraine, it is still was the number of casualties rocketed because we personally deployed like improvised uh, forward surgical team in the same farm near the front line and when the counteroffensive started we created tens and tens of people during one day so and uh, another feature if as a lot of experts predicts the counteroffensive starts on the south of ukraine unlike the east of ukraine where we are now it is not so populated by big city and uh, like a urban agglomeration so that it's villages villages rather country landscape so it is far less uh well equipped medical facilities but i couldn't speak for whole ukrainian health system because we have a minister of healthcare we have commander of the medical forces but we again we as a first volunteer mobile hospitals mm -hmm. do our best we even bought a motor home by the way from britain and uh, equipped it like a like a motorhome for our medical team but uh, because we know when we go to just liberated territories sometimes uh, nowhere to live almost all buildings are damaged uh, there is no pure water there is no heat and there is no electricity we work in the Liman that is liberated uh, city uh, about half a year but it's still very heavy damage so that uh, and we prepare some um, like a uh, movable or uh, yeah movable uh, vehicle when we could provide this fast medical aid for wounded guys so i hope our experience our some sources we which, which we gather it from throughout the world for the last year on last year and some three months now really help us but again you're right that the counteroffensive is always bloody unfortunately we are not suppress russian in the air they still prevail us uh, in the in the air with their air forces and still they 
quite well prepared uh, to, to the best of my knowledge. I am not a military spy, but again, we speak a lot with our patients, with soldiers. They are well, quite well prepared to the, our offensive, uh, especially on the south. That's that's why the last days, like the surprise Ukrainian counter small counteroffensive in the Bakhmut is comparatively successful, because they wait on the south and not where they concentrated all the best uh, military units. But again, I'd hope in our in military commander, because some of them, I, some of our generals, including Zeluzhny, I know quite personally, as they really good strategist and care about people. I hope we could repeat our success on the Kharkiv uh, region and as well as Kherson liberation. And for sure, we keep our finger crossed and hope for the successful deoccupation of our temporary occupied territories. At least we are ready to do our best and treat hundred and even more okay, soldiers uh, a day. And at the end of you, I'd obviously like you to say how people who are interested in helping, how they can do that. But I've got one more question before uh, before we get to that. And of course, we've talked about physical trauma. We've talked about treating sort of wounds, whether they be sort of, you know, relatively light or incredibly serious. Um, but when this is all over, there is also going to be a huge amount of mental trauma. Um, do you think a lot more work needs to be done to prepare the country to treat both the civilian and the military uh, mental trauma um, that is going to remain uh, even after victory? This is a very good and very urgent point because for sure tens of thousands are already physically wounded and invalidated, but uh, psychologically uh, that is, I believe, hundreds of thousands, because it is really very intensive and very brutal war. So uh, that is, we started, apart from our frontline activity, a couple of months ago, thanks to the generous grant from the Pfizer, we started to build up our own rehabilitation center. We really enjoy the, one of the biggest asset we enjoy trust of the military people because people war people do not speak to everybody about their problem and they like ache they pain so we started and hope if we find some other uh, partners or donors to open the door until the end of this year that is very picture square place in the forest in the south of Kyiv region, so about one mile, 100 miles from the Kyiv to south. And that is really was like a miracle. At the same day, one Ukrainian businessman gifted us a plot of land with some uh, unfinished building. And we got the grant from the Pfizer, which we worked for half a year to, to, get, to, to get it. So it is enough to, to start our uh, adventure. <laughs> A rehabilitation project, but we still need more. If anybody interested in that, I would be more than pleased to be in contact and discuss to possible cooperation. But again, you're right. We, on the front line, we see the small sources of this 
both mental and physical wounded. But I could just imagine huge river which we joined and became on the again and again. And every day we treat, as I mentioned, up to 100 wounded people just on the Donbass. Most intensive, but still about 100 miles uh, front line from the thousand of kilometers. And that is, that, that is uh, urge, already urgent need of Ukraine should be discussed and should be discussed uh, both within the Ukrainian society and because mentally this war is very difficult and challenging. I could um, I could see even in my people who are not in trenches but under huge mental pressure. But as well as our Western partners, how to return this hundred of thousand uh, Ukrainian soldiers and warriors to the far more sophisticated, far more complicated, and far more nuanced, peaceful life. Because frontline is dangerous, but black and white. You kill or you are killed. But that is not the formula for the peaceful life. And again, that is a good question. And I believe that is the next challenge for Ukraine after our, when we survived and regained our territories. Now, we're going to put links to your organization in this video, of course, and I strongly encourage people to check that out and the links and to reach out to you on how they can help. Um, but apart from donations, uh, what other ways are there in which people watching this in the U.S., Canada, Britain, Germany, Australia, and the Nordics, um, which a lot of our audience comes from, how can they actually reach out to you and, and help? Yeah, all our contacts on our website, which is bilingual, Ukrainian, and English. So you are more than welcome to reach us by uh, social networks or the telephone number, which we provided on our website, or email, who, whatever uh, everybody prefer. But again, you could help for sure to treat a thousand of people monthly. We need money just to fuel the tanks of our ambulances, to repair that, to buy some medicine, uh, to buy sophisticated equipment. And now that uh, we need about $100,000 a year a month to maintain our activity. As I mentioned, we have another ambitious project which is quite different to build up our own uh, rehabilitation center in the Kiev region. Uh, and as well, but you can help by providing us with the best practices, with some uh, state-of-art equipment, for example, like a ventilators Hamilton T1 with a use by Swiss Army, and I believe Ukrainian various deserve that state-of-art uh, urgent medicine equipment. But as well, as well, if you're a journalist or popular blogger, you're welcome. We could, uh, you could live for a while with us. It is comparatively safe. Uh, and just experience from the inside our activity and just uh, spare the word uh, among the people. As well, every idea is appreciated because, again, we are brave enough to meet challenge from one of the biggest and brutal army in the world. But as well, I'm sober enough uh, that we need 
that without Western help, without help from the people for whom democracy, freedom, liberty, human dignity matters, we couldn't survive. Uh, we experienced twice in the 20th century very brave resistance to the Russian courts, but twice we lost because the geopolitical circumstances was different or rather opposite to the modern. So I ask you in back to find a way to reach us and if you consider how to support this fight for liberty, for dignity, for humanity, we are one of the best possible beneficiary because as I like to reiterate our brave soldiers fight against Russians who brought to our land uh, ruins and death. But we are volunteers, medics, fight against death as such. And that is maybe one of the most novel and most human things to help people to survive. Tens, and now tens of thousands of people. So, but again, we appreciate even the warm word which you sent us and say, guys, you are great. We are with you. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible and, work. Yeah. yeah, every support and every donation and uh, really appreciate it. We really need it. Just imagine that uh, the second year in a row, I'm not a very young guy, uh, but I uh, uh, went from our home, my wife, spent more time on the front line. I'm looking for the sources most of my time. And again, uh, we sacrifice our time, energy, health, but we could allow to uh, to save thousands of lives because somebody support us. And that is the formula of our victory, victory of uh, civilized, civilized world and humans. It's incredible work you're doing, and I'm so glad um, that we're able to, you know, introduce that to at least my audience, and hopefully that will also lead, you know, to other people sharing this around amongst their uh, networks, uh, and hopefully some journalists amongst them too. Um, but Gennady, thank you so much for for your time and the incredible work you're doing, um, and I really hope victory comes soon, uh, and uh, you're able to carry on doing the incredible work you're doing to save lives. And uh, Slava Ukraini. Hero and Slava. Oh, my dog came to me. I say, I want to go to. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for this interview.